Good morning this morning. How's everybody? Good to see you this morning. You know, now normally when we have uh, rain, a lot of folks don't show up. You know, Baptists, they believe in baptism and, you know, going to the water, but they don't believe in getting wet. So just, uh, <laughs> I know that's not the case today, so let me, just let me clarify that. But by the way, Robert, before we get start, started now, Mr. Where'd Robert go? There he is on the front row. That's why I couldn't see him. Uh, a while ago, Miss Shetan and I was talking, and she said something. I said, well, why don't you just play a song, just to play a song? She said, no, I don't, I don't like to do that. I said, it might embarrass me. I would hate to be in your shoes after church. After what you said to her, <laughs> she's liable to take you out behind the woodshed out here and just, just get to know that. So, Anyway, Miss Shetan, we appreciate you playing this morning. It's always a blessing. I can't play at my age, let alone play at her age. But, of course, she's younger than I am, so that's, that, that makes a lot of difference. But I know. <laughs> if you will, get your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. Last week we began this series, and just let me explain a little bit. I enjoy doing series because you get to go into the Scripture a little deeper. You get to explore more of it. Now, I, I like to do both ways, don't misunderstand, but I just, a series, you can get some things in. And I thought with this being the Easter season, that we would do this. There's five of these type lessons, the final words from the cross. And then, of course, the last one will be Easter Sunday, uh, April 1st, just a little over a month away, a little less than a month away now. But anyway, this is, today we're looking at words of promise. Last week we looked at words of grace that he said from the cross. And this week we're looking at words of promise. Hold that passage there, if you will. We'll get there in just a moment. But this is, again, the second message in a series called The Final Words from the Cross. It's interesting to read some of the final words spoken by famous people before they died. For instance, Andrew Jackson was the seventh U.S. president. When he lay dying in Hermitage near Nashville in 1845, his last words were, Oh, do not cry, but be good, children, and we shall meet in heaven. Oscar Wilde was an Irish play, playwright and novelist with a dry sense of humor. At the age of 46, he was dying from meningitis and staying in a cheap, drab hotel in Paris, Paris, France. His final words in 1900 were, Either the wallpaper goes or I do. The wallpaper stayed and he died. And so... Since last Sunday, and I don't know, I'm not going to call whose name it was, but somebody sent me an email. It's called A List of Redneck Infamous Last Words. I just felt inclined to share it with you. Number one, I'll hold it and you light the fuse. Number two, that's so cute. I wonder where the mother bear is. Number three, Bob, do you have any grenades left? Throw me one. Now, this is one that probably every guy in here can identify with. I know I can. The toaster is stuck. Hand me a knife, will you? And number five, there aren't that many Indians, General Custer. <laughs> anyway, I think that Christians are the only people who can laugh and joke about death and dying. Because for us... Death is no longer a scary event if you're a child of God. My favorite description in Proverbs 31, the Proverbs about the, the, the woman, 
says this, She shall rejoice in the days to come. Proverbs 31, verse 25. The reason that death is no longer scary is because Jesus Christ conquered death and the grave. In this series, we're examining the final words of Jesus that he spoke from the cross. Jesus wasn't the only person crucified that day, by the way. You probably know that. There were two other men. Luke calls them criminals, which could mean they were just robbers or bandits, or it could mean they were murderers. We just don't know. We don't know their names, but when we... We get to hear the fascinating conversation that took place on the cross between these these men. Luke chapter 23, verses 39 through 43. Would you stand with me as we honor the reading of God's Word? Luke 23, 39 through 43. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God? seeing you are under the same condemnation. And indeed, and we indeed justly, for, our re- for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now catch this last verse 43. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us as we gather together. Now, Lord, as we open your word and expound on it for just a few minutes, that, Lord, you would open our hearts to be receptive to your word, whether it be for salvation, for church membership, for just to draw closer to you, whatever it may be. We don't know each other in this room that well. But, Lord, we know that each one of us has trials and troubles in our life, and sometimes we get discouraged. And, Lord, I believe the cross can bring out the glorious of everything that takes place. And, Lord, we just ask that you would just... Show us the cross through this story this morning and what really took place. All these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. The reason that death is no longer scary for us is because Jesus Christ conquered death and the grave. For the next few minutes, try, if you will, to visualize these three crosses. I want you to just see them in your mind. Jesus is hanging on the center cross. Let's imagine to his right is the cross holding the criminal who yells insults at Jesus. We just read it. This man cried out to Jesus, but his plea will be filled with doubt. He challenged Jesus with one question. If you're the Christ, if you are, then prove it. Save yourself and then save us, is what he was saying. He represents all the people who demand that God prove himself to them before they will believe. And there's a lot of people like that. Let's imagine another cross to the left of Jesus. The criminal rebuked the other criminal and offered a simple yet profound prayer to Jesus. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, that's a short prayer. It doesn't sound like the prayer we normally pray pray for repentance. But it had every element in there that it needed. Then we focus on the center cross. And we hear Jesus, as he makes a promise to the man on his left, Today you will be with me in paradise. Now, just to clear up something, paradise is heaven, just in case there's any question about it. Paradise is heaven. That's what he's talking about. These three crosses at Golgotha can teach us many lessons. And I know we've all heard the Easter story time and time again, but I want to share with you that these three crosses represent something I've never seen before until just within the last few weeks. Uh, 
For instance, the cross to the right can be called the cross of rejection, the man that hung on it. The cross to the left can be called the cross of repentance for the one that we'll see here in a few moments. The center cross represents the cross of redemption. The cross to the right is the cross of failure. The cross to the left is the cross of faith. The cross in the middle is the cross of forgiveness. These three crosses illustrate Romans 6.23. You can turn there if you want to, but listen to it. These three crosses represent Romans 6.23. Here's what that verse says. The cross to the right says, the wages of sin is death. The cross to the left says, but the gift of God is eternal life. The cross in the center says, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Whenever you read the Bible, you always must ask, what do these words mean when they were written or spoken perhaps thousands of years ago like these words were here? But it's, if that's all you ever seek to find out what these words mean in that day and age, then you've missed, you might as well just be a historian because that's all it is. If you want to hear from God, you must also ask, what do these words mean to me right now? Something that happened over 2,000 years ago, what could that possibly have to do with our modern-day society, our Internet and all the things we've got right now? How could this possibly apply to us? That's why I, I always try, and I don't always do it, but some, I try to, to bring out a personal application that you can dwell upon of the Word of God. So let's examine these three points of a personal application from these final words of the cross today. Number one, and this will probably blow your mind if you hadn't thought about it, good deeds will not get you into heaven. But bad deeds can't keep you out of heaven. You sure you just heard that right? In verse 41, the criminal to the left made this observation. We are being punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. That man realized that they were being crucified because of things that they did. This is a statement about human justice, if you think about it. If you do the crime, you've got to do the time, right? But don't ever confuse human justice with the grace of God. Outside many courthouses, you will see either a statue of Lady Justice or perhaps on the top of the building it goes around, you'll sit carved in the stones and so forth of Lady Justice. The figure comes from Justitia, the Roman goddess of justice. She can be seen holding a sword in one hand and a set of scales in the other hand. In in the other. And she is bl often blindfolded as she appears on a statue or building or whatever it may be. In fact, a lot of court buildings still have it today, and something, something representing her. This is where we get the phrase, blind justice. Lady justice symbolizes the concept that justice should not be met objectively without regard to the position, the rank, the power of the person being brought before the bar of judgment. In other words, when you go to court on a case, you ought to get justice. You ought to get as free a justice as you can. You have an opportunity to share your story, whether it be a murder or whether it be something simple. You still have a right to share your story and confess yourself as not guilty. That doesn't mean you'll be found that way necessarily, but that's the justice system we have. But have you ever thought about that most people think about God like Lady Justice? 
They imagine there's a set of scales in heaven. They think that every good deed that they've ever performed is placed on one side of that scale. And every sin that we committed is placed on the other side of that scale. Then they believe after they die that God is going to weigh those scales. If the good deeds outweigh the sins, then they get into heaven. But if the sins outweigh the good deeds, then they go to the other place. In fact, they don't even like to call the name of her or mention the name of it except in a term of profanity. So what's the real picture here? What is this picture? It denies the grace of God. That picture denies the grace of God. Let's consider the man on the cross beside Jesus again. He was guilty. There is no doubt about it. He even said it himself he was guilty. He said, we've done these deeds. The preponderance of the evidence was against him. But just before he died, he received a promise of heaven from Jesus. Now remember, these guys are hanging on a cross. They're dying, all three of them. They're going to be dead in just a short time. And this one man saw something about Jesus that made him change his attitude on the cross. The preponderance of the evidence was against him. But just before he died, he received a promise of paradise, of heaven from Jesus. He had never done anything in his life to deserve paradise. You may remember last week that I came across a, de a definition. I did not write this, so don't give me the credit for it. I just repeated it. Grace is something I need, but I don't deserve. That is, I like that definition. Now, I don't know who came up with that. I don't know where it came from. I just saw it, and I just wrote it down. But I believe that's as true of a saying as you can get. Grace is something I need, but I don't deserve it. And guess what? None of you do either. None of us desire the, desire, deserve the grace of God. The Bible says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. The criminal was saved from eternal separation from God in the same way that you and I are. Wait a minute. He didn't get baptized. Uh, let me let you in on a little secret. I believe in baptism. I believe we all need to be, because Jesus told us to. But baptism does not get you to heaven. Baptism is just a picture for the church to see you, that they've been baptized, raised again. They've changed their life. They're no longer trying to live in sin. They're trying to live for God now. The criminal was saved from separation from God in the same way that you and I are. By the grace through faith. Not by works. There was nothing this man could do. He could never attend church. He probably had never attended church, but he now sure wouldn't because he's fixing to die in a few minutes, a few hours at least. There is nothing. He couldn't be baptized even. Well, he probably wanted to at that point, but I don't think they're going to let him down off of it. If God treated us like Lady Justice, imagine what these criminal scales must have measured. There's no record he ever clothed the needy, fed the hungry. He probably stole clothes and food from them. There's no record he ever helped the little lady across the street. He probably would have been more likely to mug her than to help her. There's no record he was ever baptized. 
on the scales of good deeds and bad deeds, can you guess which way his scale would have tilted? Guilty, undoubtedly. So what's the lesson here for you and I? Salvation is by grace. Salvation is by grace only. You cannot work enough, even in the church, to obtain salvation. You can't do it. You may think you've done too many bad things in life to be allowed into God's paradise or heaven. But God's grace is greater than all of your sins. His grace is enough. Let me give you some examples. Abraham, one of the greatest Old Testament characters, was a liar. But he's in heaven right now. Moses was a murderer. He's in heaven right now. Elijah was suicidal. He's in heaven right now. David was an adulterer and a murderer, and he's in heaven right now. Paul had Christians like you and I arrested and killed, yet he's in heaven today too. The promise of Jesus to this guilty criminal should convince all of us that we are not saved by anything we do. We're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And that's it. Nothing else. You can't add anything to it. Nor are we hopeless and lost because of bad deeds. Now, if we were to take a survey today, and don't worry, we're not, but we'd go around and say, well, what's some of the bad things you've done? I know a bunch of you got a, y'all got a bunch of them. And let me tell you, probably of all this room, I'd be the leader in all of them. But that's not what we have to do. God's already forgiven my sins and your sins, I hope. Salvation is by grace through faith. The only way to make a reservation in heaven or paradise is through faith in Jesus Christ. Nothing else is required. Nothing else is imagined. Salvation is by grace. That's God's part. My part is to exercise that faith, and even that is a gift from God itself. So God not only tells me to exercise my faith, He gives me the power to exercise my faith. Man, that's pretty easy. Even for a simple guy like me, that's pretty easy to figure out. That's a good deal. Did you notice the criminal's prayer of faith? Using just nine simple words, he prayed, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's all he said. It wasn't a long, drawn-out prayer. It wasn't a, would you forgive me this sin and this sin and this sin and have a list. He probably wanted to pray that long so he'd, somebody would let him off the cross for it. I don't know what was going on. Whenever you're traveling, it's always a good idea if you're going out of, out of state or someplace pretty long trip. It's a good idea if you're going to stay at motels to make a reservation, right? Before you leave, let me throw that in. Because there's been times Judy and I, we'd just jump in the car and take off and didn't make a reservation. Oh, we can just stop and they say, they'll have motels. And No, they didn't. Some convention was going on. They were booked up. That's how we do it quite often. But hotels can fill up. And if you haven't made a reservation, then you cannot be certain of getting a room. Reserving a hotel room doesn't require you to be a rocket scientist. It's pretty simple if you think about it. All you have to do is call or go online nowadays in order to let the, no, the hotel know that you're really serious about coming there and staying that night. They require you to probably give a credit card or some kind of uh, you know, proof that you're going to be there and going to keep your word on it. 
They give you that, you give that so they can hold the reservation for Did you know that you can also make a reservation in heaven today? Just like getting a room, you, except you can make a lifelong reservation. You can make a reservation in heaven today that will be waiting on you when your time is. I don't know when that's going to be. You can make a reservation. And by the way, well, let's get a little forward. I'll show that a little bit later. You can also, Jesus said it's so simple that even a child can do it. And probably some of you sitting here today, as a child, made your reservation in heaven, probably around eight, nine years old, maybe some younger, some in that range. But we probably, if I were to ask the question, which I'm not going to do it, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but when did you make your reservation in heaven? Some of you would probably lift your hand and say, I was eight years old, or I was nine years old, or ten years old, or six years old. I've seen some six years old that was more mature than some adults when it came to making God's choices. But anyway, that's another story. The criminal on the cross gives us a pattern for making a reservation in paradise. Let me show you. Number one, you must admit you are a sinner. The criminal admitted he was guilty and deserved to die for his crimes. He knew it. He wasn't even questioning that. He knew he was guilty. Before you can be saved, you must be willing to admit you are guilty, a guilty sinner who deserves death and hell. We do. We deserve that. What's the second thing? You must believe that Jesus can save you. Matthew tells us at first both criminals were insulting Jesus. But something happened, and we don't know what it was. It doesn't tell us that caused one man to change his mind and start believing in this man in the middle called Jesus. Now, what took place? We're not told. I personally believe, as he was beside Jesus and heard some words he used and things he did, he saw compassion like he's never seen compassion before. He saw love that he had never heard before. He, he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. He saw something he'd never seen in a human being. He heard Jesus speak words of compassion to his mother as he was hanging on a cross dying. That's what repentance really is, if you think about it. It's changing your mind about yourself and changing your mind about God. The criminal came to the place where he said, this man has done nothing wrong. This is a criminal talking about him. Why are y'all crucifying this man? He's done nothing wrong. They already knew that. They just didn't want to hear it. But this criminal recognized that. Have you come to the place where you believe Jesus is the perfect Son of God in your life? Number three, you must confess Jesus as Lord. This man not only made a profession of faith, he prayed a prayer of faith. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, this man did not know Jesus in an earthly way or a spiritual way. He didn't know him, period. Let's examine that statement for just a moment. First, the criminal had to believe Jesus had a future. Now, remember, they're hanging on crosses about to die. This criminal had to believe that this guy really does have a future. Even though he's fixing to die, he's got a future. I want to know something about that. And on the cross, he prayed that 
Remember me when you come into your kingdom. The criminal had to believe Jesus had a future in which he could remember him. And so he put his faith into Jesus that he was telling the truth. Next, he believed Jesus would have a kingdom. Now, remember at the moment when the criminal prayed that prayer, Jesus didn't look like a king by any stretch of the imagination. He had been beaten, he had been battered, he had been bloodied by human standards. There was no basis to believe that Jesus would even survive the cross, let alone lead a kingdom in the future. So the criminal was confessing with all of his heart and for all to hear that he believed Jesus would be Lord. Isn't that exactly what we're called to do? He would be the Lord, the King, in a future kingdom. This man didn't know how long it would be. He had no idea what was going on in this situation he was involved in. In order to make your reservation in heaven, you must make a confession, the same confession. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Have you done that yet? Making your reservation in heaven is as easy as ABC. In fact, if you've ever worked on the Bible school down here, if you haven't, then we need to talk because we need you this year. But if you've ever worked in Bible school, they have a little deal in, in the curriculum we get from the Southern Baptists that ABCs of salvation. I'm not going to go into that right now. But, but you have to let God know you're serious. He requires more than a credit card to hold your reservation. Oh, boy, that leaves me out. He requires your life. He requires all of you, each and every one of you, and every ounce that you are. He requires that much. But during that time, they prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Within days, they died. But their reservation was made in paradise. Have you ever heard of deathbed conversions? Probably everybody in this room is seen one, been a part of one, some, some kind. I've had the unfortunate part to witness several of them. And we all know of someone who on their deathbed knew their days were not many, but during that time they prayed to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You seen, everybody's seen that, right? Or at least been a part of it somewhere. Within days they died. But their reservation was made in paradise, in heaven. And I believe that's exactly where they are today. Because it wasn't this preacher that told them what they need to do. It was God that told them. Folks, I can't get you to heaven, but God can get anybody there. The term deathbed conversion really can be misleading. We all wish we could put on our pajamas and die in bed after we've expressed our love and all of our condolences to our family members and tell them how much that we love them. We'll see you soon. We want, that's the way we all picture ourselves to be dead. But let me share something with you. Statistics tell us more people die with their shoes on than in bed. In other words, you're taking a terrible risk if you're waiting to the last hours of your life to make a conversion because you don't know you'll make it that long. More people die out on the street corner or walking in the street or walking in the house or whatever than they do in bed waiting for that time. Are you willing to take that risk? You're taking a terrible risk if you are. 
If you try to wait to give your heart to Jesus at the last moment of your life, it might work for you. But most statistics say it doesn't work at all. Because most of us die when we're dressed. Not in bed, relaxing. Now, I mean, if you've been sick for a while, that may change some scenarios. But the third thing we see, the promise of Jesus confirms our reservation in paradise. When you make a motel, motel, hotel reservation, motel reservation, and you secure it with a credit card, then you're given a confirmation number. Did you know we've got a confirmation number for our place in paradise in the Bible? Luke 23:43, where we read, this is our confirmation number. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you'll be with me in paradise. Let's start with that phrase and work backwards just a minute. What or where is paradise? Again, paradise is heaven. Simply stated, paradise is heaven. The word paradise means beautiful garden. And it's found only three times in the New Testament. Jesus used it here and again in Revelation 2-7. Jesus said to him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's heaven. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 2-4, the Apostle Paul used the word paradise when he wrote, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. He was caught up to paradise. Now, contrary to popular misconception, there isn't a seventh heaven listed in the Bible. The ideal comes from mythology. The Bible mentions, never mentions seven heavens. Paradise equals heaven. Instead, the Bible speaks of three heavens. The first word heaven is used, first word heaven is used to describe the atmosphere. We read about the birds that fly the heavens and the rains that fall from the heavens. Next, the second heaven would be what we call our outer space. The Bible speaks of the stars in the heavens. But the third heaven is paradise, the dwelling place of God, which we, we usually mean when we use the word heaven. There's something beyond that we know one of these days we're going to go to heaven. Our soul is going to go to heaven. We're going to be there one of these days. I'm glad Jesus called it paradise. There are places that we call on this earth, now I've never seen any of them, but I know some of you have, tropical paradises on earth. But compared to heaven, Hawaii will be like a barren desert. I mean, it won't be anything compared. Jesus promised the thief, you will be with me in paradise. The best part of heaven isn't what is there. Flowering trees, streets of gold, gates of pearl, golden streets, all the things that like that. The most wonderful thing about heaven is, and we went through this just recently in our Sunday night Bible study in the book of Revelation, the greatest thing about heaven is we will be there with Jesus. That's the great part of heaven. I mean, those gold streets, yeah, to our minds now, they just make us fantasize of what it's like. When we get to heaven, we're not even going to care about the gold streets. Oh, you may pick up a pile of gold dust, sticky pocket, just for security reasons, but I'm kidding, I'm kidding. That's not going to get our interest. What's going to get our interest is when we see Jesus, the one that hung on this cross for each one of us, that were undeserving of it and died for each one of us. That's what we'll be wanting to see.
He promised the criminal, today you're with, with me in paradise. He wasn't talking about some future event. Jesus was talking about today. After a Christian dies, there is no waiting period. We get to go be with Jesus immediately. This verse completely destroys any basis for the idea of purgatory, in my opinion. Our Roman Catholic friends teach in their official catechism that it's a, if, if a person dies who isn't perfectly purified, they go to an intermediate place for purging or cleansing. I'm glad we don't believe in purgatory. We believe in paradise. I'm not delayed paradise. It will be immediate. The moment I take my last breath upon this earth, the next moment I will be in heaven with Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 6 says, When a Christian dies, we are absent from the body and present with the Lord. That's what we're going to be. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 23, Paul was writing about dying, and this is what he said. To die was to depart and be with Christ. Why are we so worried about death? It's going to be the greatest thing that ever happened. We will go to paradise the next moment. The moment my eyes close in this world, the next moment they open in heaven. Notice the first part of verse 4, 43. Jesus said, assuredly. The actual words Jesus used was, amen, amen. The King James, ver- uh, ver- King James translates them, verily, verily. Jesus was saying, I absolutely promise, guarantee with no uncertainty that you will be with me in paradise to this man. Now remember, this is a criminal. This is one of the worst characters that could possibly be, but yet Jesus is speaking to him, in a moment you'll be with me in paradise. Wow. Have you ever wondered what makes Christianity different from all the other religions in the world? There are many differences, of course, but here's a major contrast. Of all the other religions, Christianity is the only faith with a guaranteed salvation to its followers. Did you get that? Christianity is the only faith of a guaranteed salvation to its followers. Let me give you some things to back that up. Hindus believe salvation is finally attained through reincarnation. What if you keep being reincarnated in the wrong direction? What if planet Earth is destroyed by a meteorite or something during the middle of your reincarnation? Too bad. You'd be a soul just floating around throughout the space with a body, without a body, floating in the universe. It's really a karma lottery, if you think about it. No guaranteed that you'll be there. The Buddhists believe if you do everything right, you think right, you talk right, you act right, then you could attain spiritual holiness. But you've you're really judged more by your motives than your actions. So what if you die before you purify your motives? There are no fake-up courses in hell, folks. Muslims are in the same boat of insecurity. Nobody is ever certain that they're good enough to please the great and mighty Allah. You can only try harder. Muhammad himself wrote these words, and I quote from the book of Quran. Save yourself from hellfire, as I cannot save you from Allah's punishment. Nor do I know what will be done with me or you. 
the book of Quran, Surah, if I pronounce it right, 46.9. Their own book says there's no guarantees that you'll be in heaven. Then I see Jesus hanging on a cross. He looks at a man who lived an awful life. He's dying an awful death. This man is nailed to a cross. He can't move. He can't. He can only speak, and then barely because he, he's trying hardest just to catch a breath. In response to a simple, sincere nine-word prayer, Jesus says, "I promise. I guarantee. I assure you." Amen, amen, today you will be with me in paradise. As Christians, we're the only ones who can sing, Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. We're the only ones who can sing that. Let's go back to the crosses for just a moment as we close. Fast forward three or four hours. The skies have grown dark now. Jesus utters his final words on the cross. He says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He dies. He breathed his last breath. And as John writes in John 19.30, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It was late afternoon by now. And because it was the day before a special day, the Sabbath, the soldiers decided that we need to hasten their deaths. Crucifixion was never intended to be a short, painless experience. They wanted it to last for days to make them suffer. Crucifixion was meant to be painful. Can you imagine how it was? It was designed to last for days. When a man was crucified, the only way he could breathe was to push up on his legs and with his diaphragm move it up and down so he could breathe air into his lungs and just struggle as he did. He'd push up with the lower part of his body. This action would lower and raised his diaphragm just enough to get air drawn into his lungs. The soldiers probably took a big iron bar, or perhaps even the hammers they nailed to the cross with. We don't know. We're not told. And they'd go to the crosses and they'd break the legs of the prisoners. That way they could no longer draw breath. In just a few minutes, they would be dead as they strangled to death. Since they couldn't no, could no longer press upward, they soon would suffocate and die. Have you ever thought about those two thieves died the same distance from Jesus? Even though they were on both sides, they were the same distance from him. Yet one died trusting Jesus. The other died rejecting Jesus. That should serve as a warning to all of us. You can be close to Jesus and still die without trusting Jesus. How can two people be seated in the same auditorium, same room, to hear the same gospel, and one comes to Jesus while another person, no, I'm not interested, walks away unchanged? But then it's a mystery to me how anyone can see the cross and not give their heart to Christ after we see what He's done for us. The same sun that melts ice also hardens clay. After the soldiers broke the legs of the criminals, they approached Jesus on the cross to break his legs. However, they discovered he was already dead. So to certify that he was dead, a soldier took a long spear and punctured the left side of Jesus, sending the point of the spear perhaps into his heart. We don't know. The Bible says blood and water flowed from the wound. It wasn't just a wound. It was a fountain. Where do you get that from? 
because the prophet Zechariah had promised that one day a fountain of salvation would be opened in Jerusalem. It was a fountain that flowed out. The last thing on earth the dying thief saw was a fountain of salvation. That's a great old hymn we used to sing, still sing sometimes. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. The dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain on his day, and there may I, though as vile as he, wash all my sins away. You and I are as vile as any criminal that hung on the cross, personally. When it comes to our own righteousness, we've all sinned against the holy God. But we can have the promise of paradise when we simply place our faith in Jesus Christ. Have you come to the cross? Have you seen Jesus dying for you? Not just pictures on TV or pictures that you hang in the wall. Have you begun to visualize that Jesus was on that cross? He died on that cross. Have you come to the point where you say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I deserve to be punished. But I believe in you. I confess you as my Lord. Jesus, please remember me when you come to your kingdom. Then listen as he speaks these words of promise to you. The day you die, you can be certain you will be with me in paradise. Do you know the cross? Really? Do you recognize what happened at the cross? It wasn't just a pretty Easter story. In fact, it wasn't a pretty story at all. But it was beautiful what he did for each one of us. Jesus died in my place. I've shared a hundred times before, and I'll continue to tell it. If I had been the only person in the history of mankind that would have accepted Jesus Christ, he would have done the same thing for just me. But thank goodness it wasn't just me he loved. He loved all of us. Let's stand this morning. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've given us as we come to close the service. We just ask that you would draw our minds, draw our hearts, draw our thoughts this time of year as we begin to lead up to the Easter time. The Lord would remember what Jesus really did for us. Sometimes we just look at pictures and it's just such a nice little picture. We hang it in our living rooms, on the walls and places, and we don't stop to think about the suffering, the pain that was done that day. Nor do we think about the cost that was paid that day at Calvary. Lord, open our eyes that we may see you the way you want us to see you. Lord, open this invitation. Just, Lord, lead us as Robert leads in just a moment. As we sing this song that they picked out, open our eyes to see Jesus this morning. Maybe there's somebody here today that does not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Maybe there's somebody here today that, yes, you are a Christian, you are a Christian, you just managed to get away from Him some way. What a great day to come and renew that fellowship. Renew that reservation in heaven. Whatever the need of anybody here, we will not close these doors until everyone's had an opportunity. Lord, speak to our hearts that we know where we're going one day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Don't leave this building without Jesus. There's too many things outside these doors that can happen. I'm not trying to scare you by any means, but every day of the week you hear somebody killed on our highways. Don't leave without Jesus. That's an awful big risk to take.